Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. and welcome to episode 186 of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nimhauser at HawkBlogger on Twitter. And uh, we have a rare, a very rare, victorious episode uh, of Real Hawk Talk. Um, your Seattle Seahawks have won a football game. This happens when they score more points when the op- than the opponent. It is... It is a glorious moment when it happens. It is even more glorious when it happens against the 49ers. And for those of you joining us live in our YouTube channel and chat, which is always fun thing to do, I have a feeling you will not see as many 49ers fans in our chat today as you once did. Now, maybe they're all watching and hoping to come in here and and ruin our fun, but I just don't think they have the same energy when they've lost four in a row and 16 out of 18 to the Seahawks and half of our four wins have come against their shitty team. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of fun with that. And uh, let me bring in the crew. Before I do, give the show a like. It takes two seconds. Thumbs up. Go and subscribe to the channel. or well over 7,000 subscribers. Join over at patreon.com slash Just takes a minute um, and you'll get instant access to the Slack channel where 
We constantly are in conversation with a bunch of great folks, hundreds of folks in that community now, um, keeping the, the discussion going. And uh, as we say, you celebrate, you commiserate, we do it all there, and the money goes to charity. So uh, we, are, we are well on our way to having another good season in that regard. With us tonight, uh, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, you're you're on your way to Houston to watch this game, am I right? So we leave on Friday morning. At the beginning of the year, we decided to pick an away game, and I thought, let's go to Houston. A, I know that there's a pretty decent size fan base um, in Texas for the Seahawks. So it's always a fun party. Um, I had a great time when I went to Dallas. And so, um, and it was warmer, it was December. And I thought it's going to be an easy win. Now, two games ago, I'm like, oh, why did I pick that game? Why are we going? We're going to get beat by the damn Texans. Like I was so upset, but I think that we're going to win this game. And so now I'm excited to go again. It'll be good. 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 Well, we'll talk more about that because I don't think you're alone. This is the this is the game that a lot of folks picked to travel. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm glad people Easy did. Way. I don't. <laughs> Houston is not an attractive destination to me, but but I know it is to some folks, and I hope everyone has a great time. Uh, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, uh, getting blocked by people left and right. How are you doing, dude? It's never a quiet day with the Seahawks, you know. It is uh, not. <laughs> There's always something. So, yeah, I certainly got blocked by uh, a certain reporter who came out with a Russell Wilson story today, and I didn't even write at him, so he was searching for his name. I'm guessing, or so it's always interesting. But yeah, Dana, I'm I'm excited for you. I'm sort of with Brian. I've never found Houston to be a particularly attractive destination for a road trip, but yeah, it should be fun this weekend. I don't know if you guys have followed expansion teams in sports before. I know you guys have the hockey team and the Texans are the closest thing to an expansion team. So hopefully Dana, you get to see a pretty good win because yeah, the Texans used to be one of the best teams in terms of a roster in the NFL. Pretty much all their good players are gone. Like Dwayne, this is Dwayne Brown's first game back in Houston. You probably won't recognize a single guy on the other team. We were joking a little bit before uh, about winning just a little bit, but it's all real. You guys realize this would be the first time all year the Seahawks will have won two games in a row should they win this. <laughs> first time all season to win two games in a row. This is a team that coming in, I think Russell Wilson had never lost three straight before this year. Oh, never right? lost two straight. Um, I don't he think he went back straight. to back. Really? I don't think so. Maybe it's rookie year, but maybe yeah. I don't Anyway, so hopefully they can string together at least two wins in the season. That that would be, uh, you know, I'm sure that's in someone's contract. That's in Pete Carroll's contract. As long as he wins two in a row, he's safe. <laughs> uh, last, but at, never least, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter. Nathan, how have you been kind of reacting to this victorious week for, for Seattle Seahawks football? I don't know that I have been reacting. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I I felt weirdly kind of nothing after the end of that game. Like it was exciting leading and all that. And then it ended and I was like, oh, okay. I guess on with my Sunday, like uh, just it ultimately, you know, meant nothing. Um, 
so yeah, it was a very weird feeling afterwards. I, I've been, I've, I've spent way exponentially more time thinking about Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and this race coming up on Sunday than I have the Seahawks this week. Interesting. I've definitely had a post-win glow. Um, it's been nice, just like, especially because the alternative, um, especially for those of us who have been outspoken in our distaste for 49ers fans and the 49er team, um, the alternative is just like constant trolling and and dealing with folks you know left and right i don't ever tag 49ers fans i never go after 49ers fans but i certainly share that i'm not a big fan of theirs um but man just to have the total silence it just the equanimity of just all of them going back to their little holes i love and now they're left scurrying about trying to figure out how the hell like they're still in the playoffs. I mean, they're in the playoffs as it stands right now. <clears throat> I don't know how much they're talking about that because I think they're just so discombobulated by the reality that a three and eight football team has swept them this year. Um, so anyway, I, I liked that quite a bit. Um, I have to do quick aside, um, relatively quick aside. What has also occupied my week, it's been like a, a technology uh, week somehow. Um, I was away with my friends on Whidbey Island. We were playing around and one of them brought a Oculus VR headset. Have any of you played with a VR headset? I see Nathan nodding. Yeah, yeah. I have. It was hilarious, first of all. I mean, <laughs> at, like watching people do it is hilarious. And the fact that they can't see anything you're doing to them while they're doing it is also hilarious. And I got home and I told Rachel, my wife, about it. And she's like, I want a VR headset. And I'm like, what? This is like the least technology interested woman in the world. And that's all I needed to hear. I'm like, okay, we had one the next day. And we've been like climbing like mountains and slicing like things with lightsabers and having all sorts of fun. I highly recommend it. If you haven't played with it, like give it a shot. Holy crap. I feel like I'm either late or early to that party. I don't know where on the curve, the adoption curve, but that's one thing. And the other thing is uh, one of our relatives gave us an air fryer. Oh yeah. Those Any of you own air fryers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Dana. They make the have... best mushrooms ever. Oh. Best mushroom. Okay. Yeah. We made like a sweet chili uh, and uh, Brussels sprout chicken like it was like awesome mm -hmm. so now we're addicted to the air fryer so that's kind of been our, our technology late in week um you know kind of being indoctrinated in the new generation of, of uh, how people are living so if i you see me kind of reaching out thinking i'm touching things um i will tell you getting high and doing vr and then taking the headset off that is a, that's an experience in and of itself. Speaking of, speaking of it. high, uh, I'm still coming down from Evan's intro the other day. I did oh not know I was walking into that because I was sort of like Nathan after the game. I was like, all right, whatever they want. Like, and then next thing that happens, I come on the podcast and he starts dancing to the crab song. <laughs> 
It was fan. He had asked me earlier in the day if I had a second to just test something on Zoom. And I was like, sure. So I hopped on Zoom with him. And all of a sudden that song started playing. I was like, oh God. Oh God. I don't even want to, I don't even want to know what he's doing. He was so fun. Yeah, people people that might be wondering where Evan is, he he pulled a, a glute, I think, <laughs> um, dancing. Uh, so he's on awesome. the IR for 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 right now, but uh, we he, we're, we're very happy to see all the crabs in the chat. Um, so uh, anyway, let's let's talk a little bit um, about this game that we just finished the the 49ers victory and um you guys have all had a little bit of time to kind of uh absorb the impact of that game jeff i want to start with you like what of that game you know uh have you been thinking about what are, what are the parts of that game that you think have any implications for the rest of the season and beyond well, the game just felt weirdly familiar to not this season, but the past few Seahawks seasons where it was just like horribly unfortunate and frustrating at first. And then they got a game where they should have been running away with it, but they managed to screw it up in perfectly frustrating fashion. And it came down to the end. But really, to answer your question, yeah. So it was nice to see a familiar looking Seahawks game. We haven't really seen that this whole year. But just seeing Russell look like Russell to me was the number one takeaway from that game. Um, we've been pretty critical of him and I think rightfully so. And his numbers looked a little better maybe than he, how he played, but for the first time in quite a while, maybe it's the finger injury, maybe just getting the timing back, but he looked like Russell. And to me, that was just noticeably different. He missed that throw, but otherwise, I think that's an obvious one. Otherwise we start to see some interesting things for some of the younger guys on this team. And I've said for the past couple of weeks now, I'm sort of looking at this like a preseason game. I want to see players emerge who are going to be here in the future, which is why I was pretty annoyed by that whole Adrian Peterson thing, because I don't I think we're just wasting snaps. So we saw a few things where you saw D. Eskridge finally flash, and it's a guy like, I want to see that guy get more playing time. I think it's ridiculous they're not giving him more playing time. So he's just a totally different athlete than a Freddie Swain. Or like, why are they throwing a penny hard on, like, second and 19 or something? But Stone Forsyth came in a right tackle when Brandon Shell got hurt. And he didn't embarrass himself against Nick Bosa. So that was interesting too. Uh, and yeah, we've seen, I just want to see guys like that, guys who you can move forward with on this team. So to see Forsyth and Eskridge and Curran did some okay things, but he's not a left guard. And just, you saw some guys across the defense play well. Quandra Diggs had a really good game again. He's building up, uh, his agent is probably loving this. He's building up quite the case for an off season. So yeah, I think the, the biggest thing was Russell and the young players. Dana, how about you? You're on mute. I was a little more, I, I was a little more excited about this than you guys were. I, I will tell you that, you know, our, our chat throughout the last kind of day, couple of days has kind of brought me down because everyone's like, man, who cares? I was like, I care. I really, really care. And I know that you guys are, you know, over it or what have you, but I just, this game, it was just like a huge sigh of relief that, we still had the players that can make the plays. Bobby still looked like Bobby. Diggs finally looked like Diggs. Carlos Dunlap, where have you been all season, right? Like, I was just loving that so much. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But I think more than anything, th this season, this whole season for the entire NFL is bizarre. I mean, I've been doing podcasts all week long talking about how weird the NFC is right now. And I think that the Seahawks kind of fit into that mix right now. So it was nice to see 
for us to a certain extent some normality much like jeff said it was nice to see you know these longer throws the middle of the 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 shorter passes the run game and i'm not mad about adrian peterson honest to god they signed him and he got that one touchdown and that's it worth it sorry i'm good with it um i think that that's i think that that was a good ad and i said this before and this is nothing against chris carson but i'm wondering a little bit if the running back room was just missing some leadership because they all played better I, i'm rashad penny looked better this week you know and whether or not that just comes from the whole team kind of gelling a little bit better, maybe that's it. But I loved this game. I love that Tyler got that great touchdown in the end zone. I love that D that Esker got his first touchdown. Um, I just thought it, it really was enjoyable, but mostly because this is what I love. The defense just absolutely stonewalling. Kittle's great player. You're never going to completely stop George Kittle, but the defense really just kind of getting to the 49ers offense just just made me real happy. So you guys can be all poo-poo and all down on all you want to. I loved every second of it. Uh, I don't think I was poo-poo at all. No, I mean, it's the other cl- two. Cl- clip that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that it was Nathan. <laughs> I, I didn't say I, anything. <laughs> what did I, what did oh, I do? Hey, I wasn't the one, I, you know, I wasn't one that was taking a dump on Chris Carson out of the blue. Like Chris oh. Carson, my, my favorite about? thing is, my favorite thing this week was opening up the chat and seeing Chris Carson catch a stray from you of all people. That was amazing. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing gets he's just not never there long enough to make an impact, right? Like he's wow. always injured. And I just I'm wondering about the leadership there. I and I'm allowed to wonder. At least you I'm are. not, you know, pissing and moaning about it. All you are. And one of the things I did want to say about the Adrian Peterson piece, we we, we kind of guessed a little bit about why they would add him. We none of us thought it was a good idea from a football standpoint, but we talked about that it would mean something potentially to the people in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys heard Quandre Diggs post-game press conference, but he went on for you know a minute or two about how much how cool it was to be able to look around and see him in the locker room and how he had heard about Adrian Peterson all the way back when he was in high school and rumors were going around Texas of this guy. That's the truth. And then at Oklahoma and, you know, obviously the NFL. And so for us, yes, you know, fans who just want production and wins and good stuff. You're like, this guy is going to be like two yards of carry and like, just, it doesn't happen anymore. But for the guys in that locker room, to your point, Dana, I don't know if it's leadership in the sense that Adrian Peterson comes out there and does something different, but, you know, it, it, maybe it will. Maybe it will raise level of play. I think undoubtedly Rashad Penny played his best game of the season, which is not saying much, but he he legitimately made some plays that were impactful. And I thought his blitz pickup was honestly one of my favorite plays of the year. Mm-hmm. Like That was a super courageous play. And threw his body out there and allowed that pass to Eskridge. So, um, yeah, yeah. I would love to see more Rashad. Apparently we're going to see a lot more Rashad Penny. At least that's the idea. Every time they've said that he's been injured that game. So we'll find out how that works out. You heard it here first folks. Chris Carson is a locker room cancer. Oh my God. You're such an asshole. (laughs) Bad bad for the team. God. See counterpoint, counterpoint. (laughs) Yes. Data. It's, it's, this is, this is, uh, this is the way this is, I know. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, Nathan, I hesitate to even ask you since this Thank game you. registered like nowhere for you. Um, was there anything in this game that you thought uh, was meaningful in terms of what could impact the rest of the season? So the game didn't like, it's not that it didn't register for me. Like I, I was nervous about it because, you know, we talked uh, last week about there was some letdown factor and then it kind of looked like that might've happened the, and then it ended and excited. So I was into the game during the game. It was just afterwards. It was immediately like, oh, all right, well, uh, okay. <laughs> like it was just, there was nothing to latch onto once it was done. But anyways, um, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to jump ahead. I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but like the Adams injury obviously is something that is, will be taken away from this game. Um, you know, I thought Russ looked quite a bit better. I saw uh, we didn't, not all of his throws were perfect, of course, but, you know, we didn't see any of the really glaringly bad misses. Um, and so maybe he, you know, fully turned a corner and, some of Pete's comments kind of hinted at that maybe too. Um, so that was a really good sign. I mean, the, the offense really kind of exploded and um, that's with Gerald Everett having one of the worst games. I think any player could ever have. I mean, poor, poor guy. guy. He, yeah. He, that, that dude is balled out all year and, and then, yeah, everything comes together and he just really kind of crapped the bed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Russ, I think Russ talked about it, or I think somebody talked about it uh, coming out of that Washington game about, you know, they kind of, they flew down the field and maybe there was an opportunity that, for them to build off of that. Um, and yeah, then they kind of woke up again. So maybe they are, I, I thought they had a good uh, end of the second half drive or uh, yeah. Right. Um, and they drove down the field and got a touchdown yep. and then played well from there. So it does kind of feel like they are figuring this out. So that's the big thing for me is the offense. Can I ask a question really quick yeah, yeah, yeah. of all of you? How much different would you feel if this had been 44-23 or if it had been 51-23? Because that's really those Everett drops was that, was that much of an impact. Yeah, I think that, you know, at most they left 14 points on the board. Yeah. Or on the field. Um, yeah. So that'd be what? Yeah, 44, right? 44. Yeah. This team I mean, coming out of huge. nowhere to drop 44 points on the Niners. Like, I don't want to complain because it was still a good game and they beat the Niners, but that would have been amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think, I mean, look, they started their first six first down plays totaled negative 40 yards. <laughs> they didn't get a first down until there were nine minutes left in the second quarter. And they should have scored over 40 points. Mm -hmm. Weird, right? Like, and, and the, the 49ers defense is a top 10 defense mm -hmm. in most, you know, by most uh, numbers. So it was a little odd. I'm um, not 49ers were missing some players. I don't know how much that really impacted it because their replacements played really well. Um, so anyway, it was interesting. I do want to ask one thing uh, that was noticeably different. And it did affect, or at least it was related to Russell Wilson. And I'm curious what you guys think about this. I know, I know, Nathan, you have some thoughts for sure. But Jeff, I posted this earlier today that Russell Wilson's time to throw in this game, and this was time to pass. So there's different times to throw. It can be timed 
to get sacks, times to scramble, time to attempt to pass. This is his time to attempt to pass. So when he actually got a pass away was 2.25 seconds this week. And that was the third fastest time of any quarterback in the NFL um, that week. Um, compare that to the rest of the year. He was at 2.65, which was 22nd in the NFL. And um, in his previous three games, it was 2.87, which was the second longest of any quarterback. Only Jalen Hurts over those previous three weeks was taking a longer time to throw passes. So we saw at the beginning, there were some of those screens, those weren't working, but I don't think those were the only reason his time to throw was as fast as it was. So what are your thoughts on that? Did you see, is that a scheme thing that you think, do you think Russell, you know, did something different? What's your perception? Perspective. Yeah. From a scheme perspective, it doesn't seem like much has been different. I know Nathan pointed out in our chat today. I think Griff uh, responded to you as well, that they're pretty much running the same quick game stuff they've done all year. And it's just Russell executing a little differently. And I don't know if it was a response to the week before. Uh, and to be honest, in the first beginning of the game, and you know, throughout the Niners pass rush was really good. So it might have just been a response to how are we going to run a play against this Niners pass rush when we can't really pass block. So it was definitely noticeably different just to see how much more crisp and efficient the offense looked. Like you saw the third down slant to DK, which we haven't seen. Russell looked a lot different on third down. And I don't know if this was a coaching standpoint you mentioned. They were running a bunch of screens early. And they're just a terrible screen team. And there was like a third and nine screen to Homer on the first drive. Well, ultimately led to that touchdown, but that play was infuriating. But so maybe it was a little mix of a coaching standpoint, Russell. And I know Russell like talked to Albert Brew this week. And I don't know if you guys saw it on his article. He said like he consulted with the Hall of Fame coach last week. So he seemed pretty shook by that Washington game. Russell like sought out a Hall of Fame coach that he wouldn't name, like needed basically to consult with him. Like, how do I get my season back going? And I don't know if he made, so he seemed to be really evaluating himself. I think the last couple of weeks and sort of the discussion around him seemed to have really getting to him. So he definitely looked a little different this week. I think it was more than just health. And yeah, I thought Brian, that study point out was pretty interesting. Yeah, Nathan, I know you had some points of view on it. Um, what, what are your thoughts about, you seem to think this wasn't necessarily a big deal or, or notable, or maybe I'm misunderstanding your, what you've written. So yeah, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a swing in terms of where he ranks usually compared to the NFL, right? Um, uh, but the quick game is a big part of Seattle's passing game and has been for a while. So um, I do think it's more of just an, a matter of execution and hitting things and probably more of an emphasis uh, with, you know, the Niners and all that, uh, having the pass rush that they do. Um, but no, like, there, I don't think that there was something – there was. I don't think there was some substantial change in how they called the game necessarily. Um, <clears throat> I, I was talking with Griff about this. Like if you ask me to give like a really oversimplified high level, like breakdown of Seattle's offense, it's 35% quick game passing, 45% runs and 20% shot plays. And I don't, I, I haven't like charted it out or anything, but I didn't get the impression from my rewatch or watching it. Uh, live that they had done something significantly different with kind of those percentages. Yeah, Dana, I mean, I, my pers perspective is that Russell was more willing to make those throws yeah. than he has been. There were a lot of throws just over the middle, quick throws. 
And they did do some more tempo in this game where they came out and started doing no huddle. And when Russell's in that mode, he is more willing to take a dump off um, or just get rid of the ball quickly than he seems to in other situations. He doesn't seem to be looking for the deep pass in those moments quite as much. So I don't know, like, I don't know about you. I, I always think back and now it's ages and ages ago, but the second half of 2015, the Seahawks actually did that quite a bit. There was a lot of twists and rub routes with Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin and Russell was getting it out very fast. It was one of the only times in his career he was one of the best third down quarterbacks in the NFL. The rest of his career, he's been below average third down quarterback. But when he was taking advantage of those kind of plays, he was better. And so I just, I've always, you know, I know I'm not alone. It's just like, why is that something that only comes up every once in a while as opposed to being a staple of, of, of how he operates? If, if Nathan's right, that the, the calls are there, you know, and that's not changing, you know, what do we think is changing with Russell? Well, I, th- I think that there's a couple things. I, I think if you look over his, over his entire career, I, I don't know that there's an answer to that. But at least over the last couple of games, I don't know about you guys, but I just really felt like Russell was a little bit in panic mode that he seemed to be panicked a lot of every game. And I don't know if he was trying to make those huge plays just to get the team back in the game or to get up over the top or what was happening. But when they, when they go a little faster over the last couple of games, he just didn't seem, he didn't seem like himself. He, he looked like he was seeing ghosts and he was running for his life and he would bail out too soon. And, and this game, and maybe that's why it stood out so much because it has looked so different than the last. He really looked like he was feeling himself. He really looked like he was more comfortable. He didn't seem like he was as afraid of his offensive line as he's been over the last few games. And so I don't know if that's that where it comes from. He's just kind of settling back in. Maybe he's not as afraid of hitting his finger again. You know, that there's, this, we have to remember this was his first real injury, guys. I mean, this, this was it after 10 years in the league. I mean, he's hurt his ankle and stuff like that before, but he's always played through it. So maybe he's just starting to feel more comfortable. So in turn, that's where you see the benefit of that is you would see him getting the ball out more quickly, him not being quite so panicked, him not bailing out of a, out of um, a play quite so quickly to go do his little circus act that he's been so famous for forever. So I just really feel like what I saw out of Russell this week was more comfort of where he is again he just felt like he felt a little more centered than he has over the last couple of games which to me like I said before he just always looked half panicked in yeah I think that's a really interesting point because I don't know you guys I thought this was the offensive line's worst game at least to start of any of the games he's been back like Mm -hmm. there were times that Russell looked so panicked in the first few games and there was not necessarily pressure that was meriting that. Yes. The offensive line's not been good regardless, but this game was the worst. I mean, there was like instant pressure. It felt like this felt like nobody on the offensive line made a block until like the second quarter or something like that. Like on any play, a run play, Adrian Peterson's first carry was like negative five yards. I mean, it's hard. Even Posick is a disaster at center. Like he is worth, we were, I was not an Ethan Posick fan. I thought he was an, a league average center. He is not playing like a league average center. He is playing like one of the worst centers in the NFL since he's been back. So like, I think that's, that's a, that's kind of crazy, but 
that might have played into the increase in the time to throw though like they were getting pressure so fast that he was either getting hit and sacked or like the ball knocked out or you know he was getting the ball out the other thing i would be really interested interested to see is like a histogram of his time to throw or like a percentile breakdown right because thinking about it like i don't remember him extending like barely any plays uh, nothing nothing really jumped out to me in terms of him extending the play so you know is this just a case of that tail where he sometimes takes like eight seconds to throw the ball that's just gone and that moves your average down uh meanwhile you know all the other stuff looks the same so um it'd be one that would be cool to have you know more data to get our hands on yeah jeff i mean related to all of this pete carroll has said he approached this game differently like he's been open about that and he's talking about like we came out we knew that the 49ers were explosive on both sides of the ball so we wanted to be aggressive that's part of the what the, the fake punt and I went for another fourth downs and I just found myself just shaking my head. Like, did you learn anything from that? Like what the hell? I know. I found that so frustrating as well that it took the team to get to three and eight for him to start coaching aggressively. And everything we've said over the years, you, you saw a certain advantage of it. It was just so frustrating that he's probably not thinking like, Oh, maybe this is how I should have been coaching. It's like, Oh, like we have nothing to lose now. So I'll start because he was famous for like the big balls Pete thing. And even earlier in Seattle, he was more like that. And just as the team's talent has gotten worse, he's gotten more conservative. So I found this, I found that incredibly frustrating because it's just a lot of stuff that we've all been saying over the years. And again, it took for him to be three and eight for him to start coaching <laughs> with basic aggression. It was so frustrating to hear that. I, I, for what it's worth, I don't expect that to continue. I think this week, starting this week, he's going to feel like they've, the only thing that they need to do against Houston is not turn the ball over and they'll win. I think that's how he'll come across this game. So I think this game could be incredibly frustrating to watch. Um, this has all the markings of a very frustrating Pete Carroll coach game. They should win it, but it could be really aggravating watching them do it. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, there's some other news to talk about related to this. When we're talking about Russell, it did come out today. Um, Jordan Schultz, uh, and we'll talk about him as well, uh, came out with a report that he has a source that Russell Wilson is willing to waive his no trade clause for the Denver Broncos, the New Orleans Saints and the New York Giants. And first let's talk about, uh, I think what most of you guys feel, which is that this is bogus and that this is not a person to, to pay attention to. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about if it is what we think about it. So um, Dana, go ahead and kick us off. I mean, sounds like I think you and Jeff especially have had some more experience with, uh, with Mr. Schultz. I, I mean, nothing against him. He, I, you know, I don't follow him. He doesn't follow me. He, he's just not a place I would go to for trusted source of news. But the biggest thing about this that bothered me was oh, now we're going to talk about that after Russ plays one good game. But last week and two games ago, no one was talking about where Russell wanted to go to. No one cared. Oh, oh, today, today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a Saints team that just extended Taysom Hill and has absolutely no cap room next year at all. And then we're going to talk about the Broncos and the Giants are the two obvious choices of people who need. I mean, it was just, it was just too much today. I, I just literally laughed out loud when I read it because 
Russ has one decent game. Oh yes, we want Russ again. It, it, not not two not two games ago, Russ, but today today we're going to talk about it. It annoys the piss out of me. Jeff, uh, yeah. So let me start by saying this: the content itself, I think, is totally fine. Like I've heard around the league that we we know he mentioned his agent mentioned the Saints last year. I know there's a lot of chatter around the league of Denver. A lot of people around the league feel Denver's roster is a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. And I'm sure Russell is looking his camp is looking at that and thinking probably the same thing. And the Giants, um, we know there was that Colin Coward story years ago about him wanting to see wanting to play in New York. Obviously, we all rolled our eyes at that. But from everything we know about Russell and his love for Derek Jeter and legacy, I think the New York Giants would fit a lot of that pattern. So, and I've heard from other sources that that interests him. So I I wasn't upset with the content at all. I actually think it's pretty reasonable. It, it might even be true. I just found the timing to be really disingenuous. And I found it was more just look at me. And we know Mark Rogers leaked that four trade list to Adam Schefter last year. We know he leaks to Colin Coward. Those who have a huge reach. If you want the story to come out, you're not giving it to Jordan Schultz. So I know Jake Heaps said the same thing and we, we don't know how much he knows about Russell, but he's, part of Russell's camp to an extent, but to me, that was, I found the timing really disingenuous. If you want that story to get out and every leak that comes out is pure strategic. I doubt that Mark Rogers, people are digging around. We know he leaked it to Adam Schefter, who is the biggest reach of any, I know Schefter's got a bad reputation now of just being a, a mouthpiece for agents, but to me, the whole timing just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And I know Brian, you tweeted out that the whole thing, made it seem like Russell's camp sort of was rubbing you the wrong way. But that was my reaction to the story because I don't think what Schultz said is untrue. I bet you all three of those teams, he would approve a, a trade too. But I found the timing really curious. <laughs> Nathan, I, I will say, relative to what Jeff's talking about, Jake Heaps had the tweet of the day. Um, maybe the best like troll tweet I've seen in a little while. But I love when it always starts out. It says, zero disrespect to Jordan Schultz. And now you know it's going to be bad. But, <laughs> but, but here's some Wilson, disrespect. <laughs> but, but Wilson and his camp would not use Schultz to express his frustrations or what he wants for his future. Zero disrespect. <laughs> but that guy's a piece of shit. I wouldn't, they wouldn't use him. That's basically what, what, what Jake was saying. So and be careful. Every time we mention other reporters, some of us get blocked. So we have to yeah, be careful. I know. I, I mean, people block whoever they want to block. I don't care. But, but um, yeah, Nathan, I mean, what, what did you make of, of what, anything different than what Dana or Jeff said? No. Uh, but wouldn't it just be an enormous FU from Russ and Mark Rogers if he went to, Jordan Schultz of all people to talk about getting traded out of Seattle. Uh, so <laughs> part of me to wants who? huh? To who? An oh. FU to who? Well, so uh, Jordan Schultz's dad is Howard Schultz. No, I know, but I oh, mean, okay. it's like, what would the point of it be? You know what I mean? It'd be I mean, a huge FU to the city. I mean, oh, fair, fair, <laughs> yeah, fair. Like that fair. would be uh, an incredibly that'd be. I mean, I would respect the troll, even though it didn't feel, it would make me so mad. Um, so I'm going to choose to believe it's true just for that. Russ is so angry at Pete that he is leaking to Jordan Schultz just for the uh, fu troll factor of it all. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I guess. I generally agree. I think what I haven't had that's different than you guys is I haven't had the same 
I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge Jordan Schultz follower, but uh, at least on the NBA side with the Blazers, he's, he's actually at, broken a few stories and had some good leads. So I don't, <clears throat> when I don't see, when I see his name come down the timeline, I don't automatically assume it's bullshit, but for all the reasons you guys are mentioning, I think it, it very well could be. I think my only comment on this is I really hope it wasn't Russ or his camp. Like, and I think there's good reason to think it was not, but if, if it was, or even if it was through like secondhand or third hand that it came out that they were maybe Jordan Schultz heard from somebody that they were talking to or whatever, shame on them. Like if that, if that, if that was true, like this is not the time to do that. Um, Russ just played his first good game since coming back. And I can understand from an agent standpoint, trying to make sure people remember that he's a great player. And uh, a little bit, like I said in the tweet, like a little bit like the Earl Thomas moment of like, you know, come get me. Um, and so I hope that's not the case. Cause I think, I think more highly of Russ than that. I don't think as highly of Mark Rogers. So, uh, you know, um, and quite honestly, it's Mark Rogers job to do its, going to maximize Russell Wilson's earning potential through his life and what Russell wants. So, you know, I, I just, as a fan, it's, it was nice to have a win. It was nice to have Russell play. Well, it'd be nice to not have this come up right now. Um, yeah. It was especially odd because th there were stories about like two stories came out about Jody Allen this week, how she's considering, like she's evaluating Pete's future. And I know Mike Garofalo had some, and I know Peter King was on Rich Eisen's show and he sort of, alluded to the same thing that Pete's basically being evaluated based on this stretch. So if their whole thing is getting rid of Pete and the story's coming out that Jody Allen's evaluating him, that's where the timing to me just didn't line up at all. Yeah. So if, if like they came back and like said, okay, Pete's locked in, we paid his contract, then I would sort of get if they came out with a punch of their own. But for what, for all indications, what they want, might end up happening so the whole timing of it to me was just so odd <laughs> well if you want to get super deep into conspiracy theories uh i've got one for you um no. so i think there's some evidence to say that john schneider wants to trade russell wilson and let me let me just put this together for a second so we have reasonable cause to believe that John Schneider did talk about a trade with uh, the Bears last year um, uh, about Russell Wilson and came to Pete with a deal to trade Russell Wilson. And Pete is the one that said no. Um, there have also been stories that have come out. Um, I'm trying to remember in which places. Jeff, you, you've been like, there was the article that came out about the Jets or the Giants, I mean, um, being, and Schneider was kind of that he has a plan in place for whether to move on for Russell, if that comes. There's been a couple other things that have some indication that maybe Schneider is more ready to move on from Russell than other folks are. And because there's been kind of stories the past few weeks about, you know, Schneider and Russell and or Schneider's willingness to move on it wouldn't be totally out of the realm that he could have come in and actually planted this to start generating more conversation about who would be interested and have more people to talk to about Russell and potentially make Russell's look bad in the eyes of fans. Like, I don't know that John's got that in him, but that would be a, uh, 
a 40 chess kind of way to continue to push if that's really what he wants um, to kind of push that agenda um, a little further down the road. But uh, yeah, I think you guys are right. I think this is a, a nothing burger, but it's unfortunate it's already become a something burger in terms of conversation. Okay, while we're gossiping here, yeah. um, who is incentivized by leaking the Jody Allen story? That's what I've been struggling with all week. I don't get it. Because, so there's there's one obvious answer. Jody Allen mm-hmm. is benefited by that story. But if she is as checked out as everyone says she is, she probably doesn't care what fans are saying about whether she's engaged or involved or not. Um Now, maybe she's seen declining attendance or something like that and is interested, or maybe she's just been interested all along, Uh, or maybe there's some other option where Pete is, you know, galaxy braining this and leaking or like, I mean, or Mark Rogers maybe is uh, leaking this stuff to put pressure on Pete and John. I guess there's an option too. Yeah, I mean... I think that Pete Carroll would be the one that would be most ad, uh, advantaged by those Jody Allen leaks, actually, because some of the question about Pete is, is anyone, does he, is there anyone have any oversight over him? Is he running roughshod over the organization and, and without Paul Allen? If he feels comfortable with his place with Jody Allen, he'd be in he'd be wise to actually get news out there that Jody Allen is involved and she is evaluating and she wants him back. Like she doesn't, he doesn't have to have that part, but if he is getting the word out that she's actually actively evaluating and she chooses then to keep him, I think that's, that's a, uh, an advantage for Pete because it takes some of the pressure off of people. Like who's looking, like who is, who is focusing on Pete? Who's actually evaluating Pete? If he gets a story out that, that Jody already is, it takes some of the, the heat off of that question. That would be an incredibly insecure move. <laughs> and so I choose to believe that one is true. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, do we have uh, patron questions? Um, Nathan, could you look those up? Um, and yep. while you're doing that, uh, again, go over to patreon.com slash you can ask questions via our Slack channel. We will answer them as best we can every week. And uh, you get to chat with a bunch of other cool folks. I think people are making good friends in there and uh, maybe even seeing each other in Houston. Who knows? Um, there's definitely going to be some travel. A lot of people traveling, Seahawkers folks. I think it's a ton of Seahawks fans are going to be in Houston. Uh, hopefully more Seahawks fans in Houston than there were 49ers fans in Seattle because there were a lot of 49ers fans in Seattle. Um, can anybody name a good player on the Houston Texans? Other than Tyrod Taylor, I can't name a single player. I said Brandon Cooks. Oh, Cooks. Jacob Brandon Martin. Yeah, Brandon Cooks yeah. maybe qualifies. What about Jacob Martin? maybe like yeah. good role player well like i said they are if you know what expansion drafts works where everyone protects a certain amount of players and you basically get the scraps of every team that is what the texans roster is they made like hundreds of transactions just to fill out a team and they had guys like rex burkhead and mark ingram 
and Justin Britt, guys who are out of the league just to fill our Oh, roster Justin. Guys. That's right. Yeah, Justin's like, back. They don't have any talent at all. Like, Who's their left tackle that they traded like a first round pick for? Laramie Tunsil? Yeah. And he's yeah. Like, he's like making excuses to sit out games. Well, sure. So, like, they have nothing. Brandon Cooks like demanded a trade and they wouldn't trade him. <laughs> like, they had JJ Watt and Hopkins and Dwayne Brown. Marion Foster and Andre Johnson and all these guys and JJ Watt, Clowney, they got nothing left. Can we trade them Dwayne Brown and Benson Mayoa for Jacob Martin and Larry Tunsil? No, the trade deadline is best. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Okay. Yeah, this is what this is what I remember uh, of the the Texans game. I was at the Texans game, fourteen, the one where Richard Sherman intercepted the ball, and ran all the way down the field without a shoot. Mm-hmm. I was at that game. That's a great and game. That it was a great game, and the interesting thing about that to me is that team was so good. That Texas team, it didn't have like. All these, it had all these huge names. Now, you know, it never really worked out the way that they wanted it to, but it was just fun to see those two teams on the field together. The the Texans haven't had that for a while now. And they are, you know, everyone made fun of Cleveland for all those years, for all their 50, you know, quarterbacks that they've had listed or whatever. But really it's the Texans that are the true dumpster fire of the NFL. And it's a little heartbreaking because they have such a solid fan base. Um, They really do, whether you guys believe that or not. But I find it interesting to have those two, you know, two examples of those teams when you don't have the same Seahawks team, you don't have the same Texans team, and now they're going to play each other again. And so it'll be interesting to see the two. But that game was one of the, the most fun away games I've ever been to. And the Texans fans were fantastic because they all love the Legion of Boom. So. And there was that awesome game with Russell and Watson and Watson's first year in oh, Seattle. Yeah. That game was nuts. Amazing. Dude. Yeah, I think Will yeah. Fuller had like a bunch of touchdowns on Sherman and Jimmy Graham scored at the last minute. Yeah. Do you remember after that that uh, game in Houston that you're talking about, Dana, that uh, there are a lot of videos of people burning Mount Sh- Matt Schaub jerseys? Like, no, which is ridiculous. Matt yeah. Schaub was just like, he was a good quarterback for them. All right, Nathan, we got questions? We do. Um, the first one is not a Patreon question. It's just a guy on Twitter who uh, just tweeted this actually. Uh, and I, I'm curious, Brian, this one's for you. Would you take in return for Russell Wilson two first round picks, one second round pick, and Gardner Minshew? No, three first rounds is a minimum for me for Russell. No matter what no matter like is the, only there... other, the only time i would consider taking two is if you're getting someone like justin fields maybe or mac jones or someone who is a young like exactly like you're not going to probably get those offers but if you're going to get someone who's a legitimate franchise quarterback potential um, on their rookie contract in exchange and get two first round picks i would consider it but otherwise to me it's you've got to get at least three firsts for russell if you could get Mac Jones from the Patriots, how many, what picks are you holding out for in addition to Mac Jones? You realize that the Patriots are number one in the AFC, right? Like yeah. They're not getting yeah. And they just, Jones. they threw three times in their last game. Like they're not I enamored. Know, with the dude, like. <laughs> a 50 mile an hour win. Dude. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, 
Honestly, I'm still looking at two firsts. I mean, like, I, I think Russell's, I mean, Russell's a Hall of Fame quarterback and I think still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think the, I mean, we joke about it, but Jamal Adams was two firsts and a third. And we can say, like, it's crazy that the Seahawks did that, but there were other suitors out there that drove that price to what it was. That's first an all pro safety. Um, there were talk of like, five picks for Deshaun Watson, who is 23 assault cases against him and is not proven to be the quarterback Russell is. I mean, I think I love Deshaun Watson as a quarterback and a player. I wish he was a better person, it sounds like. But um, I don't think three first round picks is unreasonable at all. Um, and so I, I think that's the minimum. And, and uh, I think people have totally over rotated on his three games, dropping his trade value. That's complete bullshit. He is absolutely worth three first round picks. So can I say that, something? Can, can I say something, Crude Crude? We just made fun of Jordan Schultz and we said that that was not the time to have those conversations and that we shouldn't be talking about that right now. And what are you guys doing? So this is why people are having question. the conversation. No, I get that. But it's just so funny. It's like we get mad when other people do it, but we all talk about it all at the same time too. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like, uh, it's very, it's very frustrating. Not because I don't want to have those conversations. I have those conversations all the time, but we can't really get mad at one person for talking about it. Well, no, it's very <laughs> different though, Dana. Like I don't know. fans talking about it versus the, the reason that we were saying, at least I was saying it was bad is if it was an intentional- No, from Russell. I get that. Russell yeah. and his camp, that. that would absolutely yeah. be bullshit. Like that is a yeah. me first, self-centered, selfish move. Right. That would benefit only him. And and that's that's way different than us having a- meaningless conversation in my mind but yeah so interesting in that so uh uh albright ben albright is his name right um mm-hmm. throughout a hypothetical trade to the broncos of two two first round picks a second round pick and then a high level prospect on a rookie deal someone like noah fant uh i put up a poll and uh a third of people said they would take that for Russ. no i would not do that <laughs> uh, it was a high yeah. level prospect it better be a pass rusher so and let, let's or an go offensive that. tackle so that's yes, denver's so. denver's like a fringe playoff team so that's 16th overall pick in the bad draft plus if they get russell by all indications they're picking in the 20s so that's a pick in the 20s and we've seen how those have gone for this regime you're getting that for a hall of fame quarterback with noah fant that'd be an awful trade uh, Nathan's I, like, I take it. <laughs> no, I I agree. I agree. I mean, one, one, I mean, we'll we'll get off this topic, but I mean, to me, if you're taking a player in a trade for a franchise quarterback, you have to fill one of the other franchise foundational building blocks, and that is left tackle, uh, pass rusher, and I think the I think it ends there, or maybe cornerback if there if there's a like elite, elite level cornerback, the young cornerback, like a Jack May. I don't know. I'm not going to name one. No, but who you're trading first round picks to is really important. It is. We've seen the Lions and Jaguars make these mistakes. The Jaguars got two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey with the Rams. Those picks were like 21 and 23, and it turned into like Travis Etienne and a fourth string pass rusher. And the Lions took, they could have traded Stafford for like a top 10 pick. I think the Carolina. They traded to the Rams and those picks are going to be 25 and 27. And is that really, so I think first round picks, it's great as a starting point, but you've really got to factor in 
And that's where the Jets have gone certainly really lucky with this Jamal Adams thing because they probably were thinking they were getting picks in the 20s and <laughs> blew up in their blew up in Seattle's face for sure. Agreed. Um okay. Uh Dana, Patreon question for you from Cameron. Do you think Adrian Peterson can help us get to the playoffs? No. I don't think Adrian Peterson makes a, a, a huge difference on this team. I, I think, you know, numbers wise, much, much like Brian said earlier, you know, he's going to get the two yards. He's going to get the four yards. He got a touchdown, which was awesome because I don't know that Rashad Penny would have gotten that touchdown. I mean, I think that there was um, definitely some vet skill in, in looking at that line a little bit, but I don't think anything's going to help this team get to the playoffs. I just don't see them as a playoff team even though technically they're still considered in the hunt and the way the NFC has gone this year is pure chaos and makes no freaking sense to me in any way, shape or form. Um, I, I just don't see Seattle there. I think that they will be right outside looking in. Um, okay. And then um, Jeff, you mentioned, you know, their use of D Eskridge. Um, so Tom Frieden says that he thinks he likes DJ Dallas as the kick returner, um, but he's not impressed by Freddie Swain at punt returner. <laughs> um, why hasn't D Eskridge gotten a shot there? And I'm going to add on, why are they playing Penny Hart over D Eskridge at receiver? Um, I, my guess with the punt return is purely concussion related he had that serious concussion mm -hmm. they probably want to limit the hits he's taking and i just see them being a little conservative with him it's the first year that was a serious concussion you have to see a specialist he missed like eight weeks it's usually a one two week injury so that would be my mm -hmm. guess Bryce wayne's an awful punt returner he like he's got brian walters like he's that bad where he just has like almost no upside and like he's never... worse at least brian walters would have caught that punt in this game that then bounced by him for 20 yards. Like he, he's like a negative punt returner. Yeah. He, he's brutal. And in terms of Penny Hart, like, I don't know. I don't know what the hell fuck they're thinking there. The team's three and eight. They, they're, they're not going anywhere. Four oh. and eight now. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> like they hyped up D Eskridge had like a crazy week of practice. This has all the makings of the P Carroll after the season. You know, we probably should have played D Eskridge more. That guy was pretty good. And like, I don't know, I, I find it so infuriating because his just talent level is so much better than Swain and especially Hart. Penny Hart is like, he's just, he's fine. He's a fringe NFL player, but they, they shouldn't be giving him snaps over Eskridge at this point. They should be evaluating him and just trying to get juice in an offense that's been pretty dead for a while. So I found it just as frustrating as whoever asked the question and whatever Nathan had, because to me, there's zero logic to it. Can I jump in with a question for you, Nathan, before you uh, ask your next Patreon question? Sure. Why, knowing how bad the line's been, why does Mike Solari not get as much conversation? If Tom Cable was still the offensive line coach, do you think we'd be talking about him more than we talk about Mike Solari? Yeah, probably. Um, we probably, you know, it's, it's, Josh's Josh Cashman's fault. He made the love video to Solari and he's been untouchable. You can't cross <laughs> cable Thanos. So that's that's my reason. Yeah. It's just bizarre to me. Okay, go on. Uh well, I'm gonna 
right back at you, Brian, with a question. Matt G in Portland wants, or PDX wants to know uh, if anyone, but specifically you, would like to revise their take on this question for September about who makes the playoffs first, the Mariners or the Seahawks? <laughs> uh, what was my answer back then? I guess. Maybe I assume was, Seahawks. <laughs> I guess it was the Seahawks. Um, I have this funny feeling the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs this year. <laughs> it would be the most Seahawks thing. And I, for one, would be here for it. I, I know I've been very clear about how I don't want status quo and that could lead to it. But especially if the Seahawks made the playoffs on the back of sweeping the 49ers and knocked them out of the playoffs, almost anything would be worth that for me. So um, I know everyone's worried about the Rams. I'm, I think the Seahawks are going to beat the Rams this next time that they play them. Um, and then who else? I mean, Arizona is the last game of the season, right? That's it. They'll sit all their starters. Uh, that's not necessarily true. No, because the Packers beat them. So that, they have a tiebreaker on them. That might be a big Oh, one. that's true. I, you're right. I had yeah. forgotten that. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'll stick. I'm going to stick with the Seahawks just to, to have a little fun. This uh, this this team can still lose. They can definitely they lose, lose this games. weekend. They, well, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> they could lose to the Lions. They could lose to the Lions. They could lose to the Bears. They uh, definitely lose. I think that's the worst thing that would happen, to be honest. Losing I to the Lions? No, no. Getting hot, making the playoffs, and creating false hope. And I think it's more of the same. <laughs> I, I think, like, listen, I want to – I mean, obviously fun – Especially if we beat the Rams, we went undefeated. But to me, I'm thinking big picture. I think that would be ultimately a really dangerous thing for the future of this team. It could be hilarious and the most Seahawks thing ever. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I just, for me, from what I want, I think this would be the worst possible. Um, I had another question. Where did it go? Um, well, all right. So let's round table this. Oh, uh, here it is. Uh, Kanish Shukla wants to know, uh, and Dana, I'll, I'll shoot this one at you. Do you think Shane Waldron is truly running his own offense this, this season? Um, he says he finds it hard to believe because the entire offseason, it was about tempo, but there really isn't much of it. Um, also not like the motion and different things we've seen from McVay's offense. Um, so what is your take on what offense Waldron is calling and maybe just Waldron generally? Well, I, I think anyone who's listened to me or watched me or watched or seen what I've written, I, I'm not a Shane Waldron fan. I, I don't like what he has done because I don't think he's brought a damn thing to the table. Nothing. And it's it's insanely frustrating. Do I think he's running his own offense? Um, yeah, I, I do to a certain extent. I think Pete has probably stepped in, um, but he's a defensive guy. So then you have to look where they're getting. I mean, there's a million coaches on the team, so he could be getting help from them too. Um, you know, from his position coaches, whatever it may be. But I do think that this offense feels so strange to us because it's Shane Waldron's offense. And I don't like it. I would be very disappointed if they kept him past next year. And I, and I'm not usually a big fan of one and done. Like that is not how I, I think that it takes people time, especially someone as young as him, but we don't have time, especially if Russell ends up staying. Um, then we only have so many years of his prime. We don't have time for him to figure it out. We have to, we have to move forward at that point. 
All right, last one here. We'll round table it it's from Sam Brown. Always has good questions. Um, which you are here. Uh, I'm going to kind of uh, modify it though a little bit. He says, which offensive line position is more crucial to replace this offseason left tackle or center? Uh, furthermore, does Brandon Shell deserve to be re-signed? So uh, two, two questions. Uh, you get to upgrade one and only one position. And now let's not say upgrade. Oh well, yeah. Okay. Fine. Whatever. Uh, on the offensive line, which one do you do? And uh, assuming that you don't pick right tackle, would you re-sign Brandon Shell? Dana? Oh, you want me to go first? Um, That is tough. Um, I think I'd probably go center, to be honest with you. I'd upgrade that center. Um, I don't know about Brandon Shell. If if I remember correctly, and you guys are the stats guys, so I'm going to ask your opinion on this, but he's been real hot and cold. Am I right? Like he has some good games where he shows up and then he just completely disappears. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know. I I don't think I would reward that type of production. I think that you would have to see a lot of consistency through the rest of this year to do that. Right. So I got lost a little bit in how you asked the question. Right. Are you saying yeah. one, one, only one offensive line position to upgrade? Uh, and assuming you're not picking right tackle, do you want to re-sign Brandon? I see. I see. Okay. I love this question because I think the most important question for the Seahawks is how do they fix this offensive line? Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about it and I don't think that it, like to some extent, Dwayne Brown coming back, not great because we already seeing his decline and but if you had one year of him like i agree with dana center right now is basically just a turnstile in the middle of the line i don't think you can have that and so that would be a position i just worry that they missed the year to do it both free agency and draft was a center year and even guys like rodney hudson I've been a big deal for the Cardinals. Like there was a lot of centers available moving around and they believed in Kyle Fuller. So um, yeah, if I could only upgrade one position, that would be it. I think that could potentially solidify those three interior spots and they would play all together better. Uh, and then Brandon Shell. Um, I would love to get a little bit more view of Stone Forsyth to, to make that call. Um, my lean would be towards no. Uh, I just don't think you sign mediocre players to extensions in general. I think you reload. So he'd been a little bit above mediocre in the past. I don't think he's been above mediocre this year. Jeff? I think what you guys said is fair. The center position is their worst, but I'm looking left tackle. It's the biggest area they need to fix going forward. And it might be one of the damaging parts of the Jamal Adams trade because I think the guy who went with their native pick was a left tackle on top of the Creed Humphrey thing we talked. I think Darisaw went to the Vikings. I think that was pick 23. So Dwayne Brown, I don't know if he'll want to come back. He might want to play for a team closer to winning. I don't know if he's still going to want to play in general. And I think they need to fix that position moving forward. Obviously, center is a position we've all hammered on all year. It's not good. They certainly whiffed on that last year. Even the guy from Denver came in this week and looked pretty good in his first game. That was a guy we all thought before Creed Humphrey slipped as a possible fit. But to me, it's left tackle. I think they really need to solidify that moving forward. I think regardless of how they move forward, whether that's keeping Russell or trading and rebuilding, left tackle is so important for their future. And they need to solidify this because we saw what they were 
when they didn't have a left tackle and it was a it was rough so we saw Bradley Sowell or Sowell or Jamarcus Webb and some George fans first year playing football in the NFL it was there's a rough couple stretch and so I think that's important in terms of Shell I would not re-sign him I think he's been kind of reflective of their approach in free agency and frankly why it hasn't been very good they've been trying to like find middle of the road to below average cheaper players and they prefer to do that in volume rather than spend money on one good player there was that year where they had 50 million cap room and they used shell and dj finney instead of saying like a jack conklin like i would have much rather put our money into a really good right tackle had that position solidified instead of going with benson mayo and three of those guys so shell's been up shell was pretty good last year that was one of their better moves in terms of just pure 2020 but free agency is not about what they've done in the past. It's about projecting the future. I think we've seen with Shell's injuries. I've seen, we've seen him with the performance this year. I don't think he's a guy you can consider to be a staple. I would not resign him. Uh, I am with you on left tackle, um, partly because I just don't value the center position all that highly um, and agree with the importance of left tackle going forward. Um, and then, I, you know, uh, assuming that Shell doesn't want something outrageous, I mean, I would I assume he'll want some kind of a raise, uh, which I don't know that his play has really uh, merited that, but I would probably bring him back um, on like a couple year deal, you know, a slight bump in pay. Um, he's a good player. I mean, he, he's fine, at least. Uh, and you can still, you know, explore options, whether it's Stone Forsyth or Kerhan or even you know someone you draft uh, with Shell on the you know on the roster. So um, yeah, uh, and I think um, there are a uh, a couple folks who want us to dunk on the Niners more. Um, so to close that with Patreon questions, Brian, do you have any parting shots at the Niner fans? Anybody that you want to rile up? Uh, I'll just say that um, I was thinking when you were talking any, about or that, are there Brian are there any maybe like local Bay, Bay Area reporters that maybe uh, you haven't been blocked by but you'd like to be no I, I think uh, I've said enough about him um, I've enjoyed seeing other people say stuff about him as well but um, I will say when you were talking about Russ in this past game that we didn't see any of those just bizarre, awful throws that were nowhere near airmailed. And then I was thinking, oh, 49ers fans get to see that every week. Like that is exactly what they see. Like people are like looking at Jimmy Garoppolo interception to Bobby or the one to Quandre. And they're like, oh my God, he threw it right to him. It was nowhere near the receiver. He does that every week. Like, yeah. So good luck with that. And then Trey Lance, good luck with that. So I'm very happy about the way things are looking um, for the folks down in the Bay. <laughs> All right. That's it for Patreon questions. Okay. So I know we're past nine o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit about the Texans. I think uh, there's not a lot to talk about, quite honestly. Uh, if they're not the worst team in the NFL, they're darn near close. And I think over the last four weeks, they, I mean, the Lions won. Um, so <laughs> the Lions have been playing some closer games. I think there's a good chance the Texans are the worst team in football right now. Mm -hmm. And 
I want to tell you guys, read through this really quick. It'll be very fast, but here's their offensive rankings for some key stats. Okay. Points per game. 32nd. Yards per game. 32nd. Yards per play. 32nd. Red zone conversion percentage. 28th. Rushing yards. 32nd. Yards per rush. 31st. Passing yards, 31st. Yards per attempt, 32nd. Interception rate, 28th. Passer rating, 28th. Sack rate, 27th. Explosive passes, 32nd. Explosive rushes, 32nd. Turnovers, 27th. That's about as bad as I've seen a comprehensively across the board on offense. Uh so, yeah, and the defense honestly isn't a lot better. I'm not going to go through their numbers, but um, is there any of you, I'll open it up um, and, and feel free to just start talking, any of you that foresee this being a Texans win? No. Mm-mm. Any of you see this being a tight game? All right, Nathan. Tell us about it, and then tell us your prediction and final score. Uh, well, you talked about it earlier. They're going to sandbag on this game. They're not going to show anything on offense. They're going to do the classic Pete, just don't screw up, and that team can't beat us. And so uh, fans are going to lose their mind all over again because it's going to be some kind of like 17-13 win Uh where you know 17-7 going into the like later minutes of the fourth quarter um I just don't think Seattle is gonna show anything uh they're not going to like not that they're not gonna try the players will try but the coaches are going to they're not gonna be putting a lot of effort into game planning this week right intentionally to to save stuff so I, I I don't see Seattle running away with this one and what was your final score? Uh, let's go with that. 17-13 Seattle. Mm. Jeff? Um, I, I'm expecting a little bit of an irritating game. Uh, I, I agree with Nathan. I think Seattle's going to come out. and they're, Pete always, when he plays inferior players, has that approach. that just don't screw up, sit back, wait for them to make the mistakes. And Davis Mills might start a quarterback. He's been okay this year. He had a couple of decent games, but overall – He's not a guy who he's, I can see Pete really respecting and attacking. And I found that very frustrating. I found them made play more aggressive. And we saw it earlier in the tenure. It was like they had that 58 nothing win against that Arizona team. And we really haven't seen that approach almost ever since. But it's a little unfortunate. The Texans are one of like the worst run defenses in like a long time. I think I saw some really bad numbers on them. And that's the one thing Seattle is pretty bad at. Their run blocking is bad. Their running game is bad. So, if, like, I know Jonathan Taylor just, like, was destroying them and some other guys were, but I don't know if Seattle's built to do that. So, the Houston's pass rush is okay. So, I feel like it's going to be another frustrating game where Mills will probably convert some third downs because they're just sitting in prevent coverage. And it's going to be annoying. But I, I think Seattle ultimately will win and they'll eventually pull away. But I would like to see Pete coach like he did last week. It's not – in his nature, I know it's he does that typically only when he respects the opponent, and I don't know if he'll respect this one. And they just are talent efficient. Who are their core players? We couldn't name them. They don't have them anymore. So 
I think Seattle does win this game. I'll say 27 to 16, but it's close in the fourth quarter. Dana. You guys know that two games this year, the Texans haven't scored a single point. And it's been like, I think it's four games where they've scored under 10. Yep. Like this is not a team you have to worry about, you know, running up the score. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, this is just crazy. I think that, that this is, I, I don't know. We could very well get the Pete Carroll that you guys keep talking about, but I also know that they haven't been in this position in a long time where they literally have to win every game to even give themselves a chance for the playoffs, even the smallest chance. And I think that's the prize the eye on the I think that that Pete's like oh my god if I pull this off I'll be legendary right and so I think that they will be a little more aggressive in this game because they can you know what I mean but then again we don't know we also is not going to want to get anyone hurt he lost Jamal Adams this week which we didn't talk about at all um I know you guys kind of made fun of that you know that it didn't make a difference because the team sucks so bad it actually I think it makes a huge difference and it's a little it's real sad for Jamal but um so I think this is going to be a big game. I think it's going to be 33 to – if they make it to 10, I'll be surprised. So 33-10. 33-10. Yeah, I mean – And I'd like to remind everyone, I was the only one that picked the Seahawks to win last week. Thank you. Yeah. I was feeling uh, <laughs> I was feeling very annoyed that I was looking right when it was 17-7 Niners. Um, and I was very happy when I was wrong. I will always be happy to be wrong about that. Absolutely. Um, so the Texans – um offense just give you some more idea they have not had more than 202 yards of offense the last three weeks they had 141 total yards of offense last week 141 so i i've got i really you know i'm over my skis on rashad penny i really liked the way he ran last week it looked different to me and i think against this defense and against in the game plan i think they're gonna come out with i think rashad penny is gonna go over 100 yards uh, this week. And I think, uh, he'll have a big scoring play, uh, over 30 yards, uh, on a scoring run. Um, I don't think the Seahawks are going to win this one 34 to seven. Um, I'm going to go with 34 to three. How about that? 34 to three. Uh, and with that, the Seahawks will have won two straight. They will be at five and eight, you know, just nipping at the heels of everybody in the NFC. Who knows? They might even go from second to last in the NFC to maybe third to last. You never know. There could be some really exciting things ahead. So uh, if you haven't already, please give the show a like. Please give uh, everyone a follow at Dana OG, uh, at Real Jeff Simmons, at Nathan E11. I'm at Hawk Blogger. And Subscribe to the channel. Click on the bell to get notified when we go live and go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up right now. It's going to be a fun ride the rest of the way, no matter what happens. We'll be sure of that. And yeah, I think we're going to have Evan back at some point, hopefully less dancing. I don't think any of us need to see that ever again. Um, Evan's midsection twirling is is uh, probably something that will horrify people for years to come, but We will have him back as well, and that will always be fun. So looking forward to seeing you. Thank you all for joining us, uh, and as always, go Hawks.